Welcome back to another episode of the Kitman Podcast. My name is Rohan. Unfortunately, Owen is not with us today. So Delet, as always, is with us. Delet, how's it going? I am. I'm doing great, man. Thanks. How you doing? Good. I'm good. I'm good. And joining us today, we have a special guest. It's Azam, Azam's Footy Show. Um, he's joining us. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I can't complain. Happy to happy to be on the podcast. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you. And before we get into the episode, guys, be sure to leave us a five-star rating if you're enjoying the content. It really helps us out. So let's get into it. We have a very exciting episode for you guys. We're going to be going over the tran- the main transfers for the big six clubs. And you've heard our takes, so it's time to hear Azams. So let's kick it off. Arsenal, Gabriel Jesus. I love the Gabriel Jesus sign. And I'll be honest, I, I've kind of had to eat my words a little bit on it because when it first got announced, I was like very excited about it because he's got that connection with Arteta. But I've always thought that like Arsenal, they needed a bit of a different dimension in a striker. Like I was really hot on Ivan Tony. I'll be honest. I thought Jesus was a part of the puzzle. I didn't think he maybe fully solved the puzzle yet for their frontline issues. Um, But he started the season so well and you can see exactly what Arteta wants of him. You know, he's dropping back into midfield He's linking up play, but unlike Lacazette, who last season would often link up the play, but he would, I think, forget he was a striker at that point and forget to run into the box afterwards. You know, Jesus is trying to get <laughs> onto the end of things as well, which uh, which I'm I'm very pleased with. So I think it's one of the best transfers of the summer, especially for that price as well. You know, you're getting a proven winner. And when you see some of the other prices quoted this summer for other players, I think it's a steal. Obviously, he leveraged that, uh, you know, Arteta leveraged his previous Manchester City connections, but huge, huge transfers for me. I'd rate it like a a 9 out of 10 almost. And I didn't think it was when I first heard it announced. I'm with you there. I had my doubts about it. I, as a City fan, dislike Gabriel Jesus a lot. So I was was saying he's not going to work out. He's not a finisher. But Dillette had a lot of faith in in him. And uh, as much as I hate to say say it, Dillette was right. Yeah. (laughs) I think um, with Jesus, uh, you know, I mean, it's just like, I think we've all played too, you know, when you are kind of the main man versus sort of just a role player in a team, a lot of players thrive in that situation. You know, they like the confidence that's instilled in them. It finds its way onto the pitch. I think Jesus, I do agree with you. Is he a pure finisher? Is his finishing technique phenomenal? No, but I think with Arsenal, the fact that he's just going to be on the pitch for most matches, especially all the big matches, they are going to create chances. And he's got brilliant movement. You know, he's very good at running in behind, running the channels. Um, You know, it's going to produce results. I think we're definitely going to see an uptick in his numbers. I still think, like I said, they need an absolute killer up front. I think we're seeing that at times too. I think against United in particular, you know, their first loss of the season, they had plenty of chances. Uh, they need someone to put those chances away and be absolutely ruthless in front of goal. I think they'll take that next step when, whether it's Martinelli develops that streak, Saka develops that streak, or Jesus continues to grow as a player. Uh, but that ruthlessness is what they're missing a bit. But Jesus goes such a long way to, you know, elevating their level as a team. Yes, definitely. Really How do you feel about that? Yeah, I think I'm with him on just about everything. Even like with the deficiencies that Jesus brings to Arsenal, still outweighs the good. I like Oh yeah. that. I like that Ivan Tony shot that you had. I'm a huge fan of him. Even as an Arsenal fan, I wanted to see him go to Chelsea this summer. Just I feel like it would have been a great fit. Oh, yeah. I, I want to see him at, at a bigger club. I feel like he's absolutely ready for that move and like has Completely. the ability for it, man. Dude, I need to see him at a big club immediately. I'm shocked he hasn't moved yet. Every summer, I'm shocked yeah. people aren't making moves for Tony because – I mean, I remember last uh, winter, you know, when Arsenal was making moves for Vlahovic, they were trying to sign him. Um, Arteta 
there was reports that what he wanted was someone who could do both. He could drop into midfield and provide that numerical superiority and then also get in on the ends of things. I think link up play, obviously, I think Ivan Tony fits the bill. He is such a good profile in terms of like a competent center forward. I think he would pretty much yeah. elevate every team outside of city, probably who has Holland, obviously, you know, I think, I think next summer, if he keeps up his form this year, there's going to be a big bidding war for him as well. I think Brentford was smart to have him this year and they should probably cash in on him next summer because they could get a good yeah. chunk of change for him. Yeah, no, I love Ivan Tony. Also, I think he is a complete striker, a poacher, oh, yeah. aerial threat link up play pure finisher and he has that killer instinct kind of that you were yep. talking about too so i like him a lot and yeah i i think the main concern around him is his attitude at times because i think um he said something about brentford earlier yeah. this year but i guess that's what hey man sometimes that's what you want in your nine yeah yeah <laughs> every nine every great striker in history is cocky is super yeah. confident you know and yeah. i think i think ivan tony fits the builder i actually think what happened with him and the Brentford fans almost like emboldens me in my opinion of Ivan Tony, because the fans were kind of upset and a lot of players, you know, if you don't feel the support of your home fans, you can almost shrink. It seems like he didn't give a shit. He just came yeah, back and yeah. when you over on the field, you know, and to me, that's what I think a team like Arsenal still needs to, they need a couple more big personalities, but also like we said, his skill set would suit, you know, it'd be a benefit to any big major club. Oh yeah. Every definitely. Team, literally. Definitely. Well, sticking with Arsenal, the other major sure. transfer that they made was Zinchenko. How do yeah. you feel about that? I like it. I like it a lot. Now, I think Lissandro Martinez, I've actually been hot on Lissandro Martinez for a while, so I was super excited when they were linked to him. But for the price, again, Arsenal's, I think they're doing smart business. Uh, Zinchenko for half the price of what I think United ended up paying for Lissandro. I think he fits yeah. the bill. You know, Is he as defensively sound as someone like Lissandro Martinez? No, but I think what you get for that price, what he go, brings going forward, his stability on the ball. I think if you've seen him play for Ukraine, that he's got that versatility where he can play in midfield as well. So he plugs into different spots. And I think with almost all the targets Arsenal have been recruiting, it seems like that's a big thing for them. Someone who's, vers someone who's versatile and can plug into different positions on the pitch. And I think Zinchenko definitely fits that bill. And I'm happy to, for him uh, to be on the team. I did think at first, I was like, Tierney's more explosive, you know? He is someone who can bomb up and down the pitch. He can whip in a good cross. So is Zinchenko really going to be such an upgrade on that left-back position? But you see now when Zinchenko's been injured and Tierney's playing, there is a huge drop-off of technicality on that there side. Is. You know, you don't feel as comfortable shoving the ball to that end of the pitch, him making overloads with Martinelli, pinching into midfield and sort of acting as like a double pivot at times. Zinchenko can, he can do that, so he just gives Arteta more tactical flexibility. So I like it. I like it a lot. Obviously... These were somewhat safe transfers. They fit the system. They know Arteta. And I think that's smart business by Arsenal. I think Arsenal scarred by the Pepe signing, man. I think they, yeah. they don't want to blow big money on someone who's just not, a you know, is a bad profile fit. You know, Pepe was obviously, if you look back at his days in Ligue 1, you know, he's more of a transition player. Arsenal wants to play more possession ball. So they're trying to make sure they're getting these absolute wins in the market. And I think these two transfers that we've mentioned so far, they're absolute wins in my opinion. Yeah, I think... I think the Zinchenko Tierney debate is a good one because they are almost complete opposites in what yeah. they offer to the team. And I feel like with what Arteta's going for and kind of like the similarities to Man City, I think Zinchenko will allow us to beat, like, or not allow us to beat, but I think he'll help us in our efforts to beat 
every team 10th through 20th. Whereas I yeah. think Tierney is more useful in the sense that if there's a big game and there's a, a monster winger that he's up against, we're going to want Tierney in there. But every other yep. game, Tierney will be a piece that will be crucial to us, you know, dominating the Bournemouth, mm-hmm. the, the Fulhams, you know, getting the easy 2-0, 3-0 wins. Yeah, 100. You're totally right, because in those games where Arsenal is going to look to dominate the ball, he's obviously such an asset in possession, whereas Tierney, he's just like an, he's like an old school fullback. You know, he, he can defend yeah. and he'll bomb up the pitch. He'll whip it across. But that's actually like a, a wonderful way to look at it, I think. And that's what you need. That's what people forget. You know, everyone wants to judge the top six battles. You win titles by consistently beating the teams to 10 to 20. You know, yep. that's how you win or at least, at least finish high in the table. So. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that was a different that's been the difference the past four or five years between Liverpool and City is that City are so consistent, whether it's a one yep. nil or a two one or a two nil against any team in the Prem, where Liverpool, you know, kind of passion merchants, I guess you could say. Yeah. Yeah, Liverpool, they're set up really well to frustrate teams like City. And yes. obviously with the points halls that they've had, you know, they are incredibly last year such a great team you know obviously the year they won the title but you see that they're like they've been city's kryptonite but city they know i mean pep has always just been a phenomenal manager in the league he will get you consistent results in the league and yeah i completely agree and i think that's what arteta is trying to emulate you know um arteta obviously his only trophy or his big trophy today is the fa cup it's actually been you know a cup trophy but I see a lot of strength in Arsenal's ability going forward in the league. I think if you watched them last year, you know, a lot of people are still waiting for Arsenal to have that big test. I feel like I've seen a lot of what Arsenal's test should be because last year they were consistent when they were fit. They dropped off at the end of the year because they didn't have depth and they still have depth issues as well in the midfield, particularly, but it's kind of a slow build, you know? Yeah. We already saw those. Those depth issues, even against United without Partey, yep. were terrible in midfield. Yeah, I yeah. think that is a big miss for them. Um, and if you're trying to grade their transfer window, you know, they really needed to bring in a midfielder and potentially more cover for Saka. But I think what Arsenal is trying to do, like I said, I think they're scarred by the Pepe transfer. But also, if you look at last winter, it's kind of a, to me, sort of a proof of concept for them in the way that they're approaching the transfer window is Vlahovic and Isak, they were both linked to them, and they would have been big money. They would have had to, you know, oh yeah, really dip into their funds for that. And yeah. whether or not that cost them top four, they decided they don't want to overpay. They don't want to panic buy, which would have been what they had to do for a midfielder at the end of the window. Mm-hmm. And they waited, and then they got Jesus, which, like we've said, for the price and what he brings, phenomenal transfer. So I think Arsenal, Again, I wish they would have signed someone, but I think they'll make those moves in either January or the summer for someone like Tielemans on a free or at a cut rate price because his contract is up. I think they'll probably go for Mudrick in January. They'll try to sign him as well. And so they're, they're prioritizing. It's a long-term project. You can tell it's not win now. Arteta knows that the board has patience with him. The club has patience with him. So he's okay not trying to, you know, like I said, make a panic buy. But ideally, yeah. uh, I would have liked to see them get some more reinforcements because like, Sambi Lakanga, as much as he has not potential, it. and I yeah. really hope he develops, he's not a six particularly. You know, he's, yeah, I see him more as an eight long term, but, you know, with El Neni and Parte, they've been, you know, their hands been forced and they definitely paid the price against United for that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, what's your club, by the way? I, I forgot to ask you. 
I so I support Barcelona mainly. Okay. That's my favorite club. But in the Prem, I I love Arsenal. I've always you know supported Arsenal too. So we started off on a good topic. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, let's go over to Liverpool because sure. they didn't do anything really crazy. Just Darwin Nunez, and it yeah. hasn't really worked out. So, what are your thoughts on that? I think they definitely overpaid for him. Yeah. Hundred percent. I do think he'll give them a different dynamic going forward, even in the bits I've seen. Obviously, he lost his head and uh, got that red card week two. But in week one and and just bits in preseason as well, you see when he comes on, he is such an absolute handful for center backs, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We've been used to seeing Firmino, obviously. False nine, dropping in. Does he pester your center backs? Not at all, you know? Nunez will do that. You know, they will have to, they, they have to worry about him and that will, you know, bring attention to him and free up other spots on the pitch. Luis Diaz, I think will be a big beneficiary of Nunez's signing. I think Fabio Carvalho, once he gets more integrated into the team will be a big beneficiary of Nunez's signing, but I can't deny, I mean, they overpaid hundred million is, is, is crazy money in my opinion, but I mean, that's just the, that's just the market we live in, you know, for Nunez. It's also interesting because they've never really played with a striker like this. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that I like about, well, there's pros and cons to it. Like with mm-hmm. Ivan Tony, they're taking a really long time on him, but now we know that he's Prem proven and he can do it over consistent seasons. Yep. We just kind of really saw Darwin Nunez in a couple Champions League games and everyone was like, someone should buy him. And the yeah. Liverpool were like, I guess we will. See, for me, it's interesting because I feel like it's kind of similar to when Pep signed to Ibra after the 08-09 season in the sense that yeah. Barcelona played such a certain way in that season. I feel like Pep thought, uh, you know, we need to adjust. We need to have a different dynamic because we can't be too predictable. You can't be too predictable for too long in the sport. People will figure you out and they'll make plans to stop you. And I feel like there was an aspect of that with Klopp and Klopp's talent ID has been phenomenal over his career at Liverpool. So I definitely trust it. But I trust it in a way that, like, I haven't fully seen the vision yet. I'm just trusting Klopp. One thing that I think is interesting for me is that because of the arrival of Nunez, you've seen Salah push way more wide this year. He's almost playing like a touchline winger, a creative winger. And it's very weird to me to see one of the most prolific prem scorers of all time, you know, probably the most sure bet as a goal scorer outside of Harry Kane the past few seasons be transformed into sort of just a creative winger. You know, he's not really getting those touches in the box. I do think part of that is due to Harvey Elliott. I think, you know, a lot of times I'm seeing Harvey Elliott in that like right half space in that channel, picking up the ball where Salah's most effective a lot of the times. Um, but that is an interesting adjustment I've seen from Klopp yet. And I, I think Liverpool's had in-depth issues. They've had injury issues. So I'm interested to see, most interested to see how it all plays out. What is his vision for this team with Nunez, Salah, Luis Diaz, Thiago, when everyone's fit? I don't think we've fully seen it yet. We haven't fully seen Liverpool, you know, play to the ideas that Klopp probably wants them to play this year. But they've also just, I think, they're, I think they're experiencing a burnout in form due to just the insane levels of work and yeah. um, football they've played over the past few years. We're seeing them get consistently outrun in games, which, I mean, if there was a hallmark of Liverpool's team over the past few seasons, it's that they will outrun you. So it's just such a precarious position right now for them. And that's why it's really hard to judge Nunez for me right now, because I know they're not playing the way Klopp wants them to play. And I'm interested to see how he wants them to play with these, this new face. Also think it's interesting that Klopp is willing to roll up to games and starting a pivot with two legal children 
in yeah. Carvalho and Elliot, who are like 20 and 19, which is crazy to me. Yeah, and especially like Fabinho's out of form too. Um, so that midfield has just been a mess, in my opinion. Milner, I, I mean, I think this season, maybe he's just gassed right now, but so far he's looked like he's passed it at you know, a club like Liverpool. Looks like he just doesn't have the legs. I do really like Fabio Carvalho. I like Harvey Elliott a lot too, but Fabio Carvalho, for his age, the way he gets in there and he just plays so direct, he plays so he progressive. Is. Yeah, He's looking to carry the ball, getting in around the final third. I think they have a gem on their hands. I don't know if it was Klopp's plan to integrate him so heavily this early, but yeah, again, injuries early. have forced his fan as well. Very true. Very true. Those are some great points. Let's move into Chelsea where there's a whole list of play, basically a whole team. Um, so I guess we'll start with the attacking bunch. Sure. And Sterling and Mbamiang. What What are your thoughts? I think Sterling's a good signing. I think he's a very underrated player. I think his movement is his biggest asset. My biggest thing for Chelsea is, do they have the squad or the players right now to take advantage of Sterling's asset, you know, of Sterling, what he offers to the team? I've always felt, I've been saying this kind of since the beginning of last season, they have a serious, like, final ball issue in their team, you know? If you yeah. look at Arsenal, Who's going to provide the final ball a lot? You, you can name the players. You can name Odegaard, you know. You can even name Martinelli, who's re- turned into a really good final action player. He has. City, KDB, you know. At United, Bruno was off in that guy. Who is that guy for Chelsea? You know, they were hoping, I think, it would be Hakeem Ziyech. It hasn't worked out. They were hoping they've been trying to make it Mason Mount. I don't think that's his game. So Sterling, you have this great forward with movement. Now you have Aubameyang, who's the same way a forward yeah. with phenomenal movement. How are they going to take advantage of this? I think that squad still has deficiencies. They did try. They tried to sign Rafinha. They tried to sign Dembele, who I think would have gone a long way to answering those issues and made you take full advantage of what Sterling has to offer. But unfortunately, Barcelona just dominated them on both those transfers this summer. But, <laughs> um, yeah. but I think they're good signings. I still think that team hasn't fully realized itself, hasn't fully figured, you know, they haven't hit the end of their project in a way that uh, will allow them to take full advantage of them. But I do think Sterling is a step in the right direction because I think he is a phenomenal player. He's got such quality. How do you think Potter will handle going from a team full of creators with no real finisher to a team kind of with finishers and no real creator? That, I mean, that to me, it's super interesting. I don't know, because like I said, I still think Chelsea's squad is very imbalanced. I'm interested to see what he does with Ziyech because as much as I like Tuchel, we can't deny that his record with attackers at Chelsea so far has been really poor. You know, he hasn't got the best out of someone like Lukaku, Werner, Pulisic, um, Ziyech as well, you know. So Potter, I'm interested to see. He's got similar ideals. You know, I almost think that Bowley was kind of recruiting for Potter in a lot of ways this summer before he even fired Tuchel. Uh, with signings like Kukurea and, you know, defensive signings to play that system. Uh, that is That would be a big test of Potter because when Tuchel came in, he revolutionized or he reformed Chelsea's back line. They were, they were a mess under Lampard. And uh, I don't think he, never, he ever really got around to reforming their attack. So that, I think, was Potter's next big test. Well, let's stick with that back line theme. They've made three different changes with Koulibaly, um, Kukurea, mm-hmm. and Fafana. How, how do you feel about those players? Um, I think they overpaid again on like almost all of them, but I don't 
that doesn't change the fact that they're quality players, especially now that Kukurea will be operating under Graham Potter, who we know he can perform under him. Yep. Um, they did need to, you know, with Christensen and Rudiger going, they needed to replace those players. So they have kind of set up their back line in a way that should make it very competitive for years. I think we've seen Koulibaly have some early struggles. I'm interested to see. I haven't watched him that much at Serie A, so, you know, I can't really give, like, my best opinion on him. But Fofana is a very good player, you know. So I think it's good signings. I think Chelsea has the money to spend. So if you just avoid the money aspect of it, yes, they're great signings for their back line. So, you know, I think it's good business. They needed to replace those players. But still, I feel like Chelsea's recruitment, in a way, it hasn't really blown me away this past summer. They've kind of gone for quantity, not quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, and like I said, Cool Bali and Fofana and Kukure, they definitely have quality. But it's almost like, I don't know. They were like, we need to replace people. Whoever's on the market, give me the most exciting name. I'm just going to spend money and I'm going to get them, you know. And uh, I feel like that money could have potentially been used for their forward line, you know. But we'll see. We'll see. They are such an interesting team right now because they were playing, quite frankly, very poorly up until the Tuchel sacking. I am a big fan of Graham Potter. So I'm excited to see how they do now. They're like a big question mark for me. They are. Um, Let's move on to Manchester City. They signed two players. I think both are excellent signings, Holland and Calvin Calvin Phillips. Um, Yeah. And and Alvarez. Oh, and Alvarez. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel about those three? (laughs) Um, Holland, phenomenal signing. I mean, even for the price they got him for as well. Great signing. Um, It's been cool to see how easily he's integrated into the team because I was kind of dubious as to how well he would integrate because he's a player who is going to spend a lot of time without the ball. But you can see it's like Pep's goal to get Holland off to a hot start. That team is playing for him right now. They're playing to his strengths. Calvin Phillips was a weird one for me. I think it's good for City. I don't think it's good for him. You know, I think he's a player that could be starting for a lot of teams, especially with so many teams needing like a pivot. I think United really needed a pivot who could progress the ball like Calvin Phillips, you know? So it's shocking to me. He made that move during a world cup year, but it's great for city because he's a quality player. Julian Alvarez. He's, he's scary. He's a great player. And I think he was a necessary player for them to sign as well, because Pep got rid of his players who can get in behind, you know, Sterling and Jesus for those direct runners who would Mm -hmm. sort of stretch the line, you know, and keep a back line honest. So I was shocked because you're left with, you know, Mares who likes to receive the ball defeat, Grealish who likes to receive the ball defeat. Um, but I think everyone forgot about Alvarez and the fact that he is a player who will get in behind. He's a really smart runner and he's got a great eye for goal. So I think him, him and Holland, his Alvarez signing kind of went under the radar. Holland is a phenomenal signing. There's not much more we can say about him, but in the coming years, I think Alvarez, he could be like Pep's David Villa, I think. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, that is a good point. I, I, I like the point you brought up about Calvin Phillips not necessarily being great for him. Cause yeah. I mean, he's gonna have to fight for those minutes. It's yes. a very competitive team where about six of the players that start every game are already number eight. Um, mm-hmm. as Delot likes to say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah. I, honestly, good luck to him. Good luck to Calvin Phillips to get minutes behind Rodri, especially. I feel like Rodri is the yeah. last person that you want to be behind in the pecking order because he won't put in a mistake for 38 games. Yeah. And you're just going to have to sit and watch him. Yeah. I compl- I mean, I think Rodri right now is, in my opinion, probably the best pivot in the league. So Calvin Phillips, 
going to be the understudy. He's not even the understudy. He's just going to be the second option of the best pivot in the league. Obviously, we've yeah. seen Southgate use him in that sort of advanced role at times too. So we'll see. But I mean, if the early season's any indication, you know, yeah, like you guys said, he's going to have to fight for his minutes in a World Cup year too. It's yeah, very surprising move for me. Yeah. Kind of similar to Grealish. I think City, they do a great job at building that squad depth, but sometimes I just get sad at watching their team because I see players like Jack Grealish. I see players like Riyad Mahrez. I see players like Calvin Phillips, I think, who could be very key players for almost every other team in the league, you know? Um, oh, my gosh. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you don't, you, don't have to tell, you don't have to tell me twice, man. I get on to Rohan about this all the time, saying that his team is wasting the talent of so many potential all-time, like, yeah. not even just in the Premier League, all-time, like, of the sport players that are kind of being kept at Bay of city. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's good for the, like I said, it's, it's good for city. You know, it, you have to yeah. fight to get that starting spot at city, which promotes great competition. It promotes players who are going to perform, but I agree with you, man. It's uh, if I was, I feel bad for Riyad Mahrez, especially and Jack Grealish because they are players that could be starring starring. I thought this was going to be Riyad Mahrez's year too, but he's had a hard time getting into those, you know, 11s in the league. I think, Maybe Pep's going to use him more as a Champions League player. We'll see. Uh, so he might have his moments. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm a huge fan of both of those players. But like I said, you have to be on your game to be in the City 11. I think right now with Holland, uh, with Bernardo Silva even getting minutes at the wing, Phil Foden, star boy, you know, they've uh, these players have cemented their name in the 11. So we'll see, though. Pep goes through phases, you know. Grealish could have his moment in the sun later this season. Riyadh could have his as well. True. Um, true. It will be hard to unseat Rodri, though, for sure, for Calvin Phillips. Yeah, that is true. I, I think the creators on City, like Foden, I, I really thought it was going to be Grealish's year this year with Holland coming in because mm-hmm. Holland's the exact type of player you would want alongside a player like Jack Grealish. Yep. But Mars and Grealish are both players that don't necessarily play amazing against a low block. They're better when the game is more balanced <laughs> possession wise rather yeah. than 70-30. I think I also think Grealish this season especially it's a bit on him as well cuz you could see yeah. in the preseason Pep was looking like he wanted to lean on Grealish this year, you know. I thought Grealish was going to have a big role but he just hasn't really taken those opportunities when they've come, you know. Oftentimes it feels like we saw him at Aston Villa. He would just glide past players. You know, I think yep. he's a player, like we said, who needs to be the focal point of the team. And he's really struggling yeah. just being part of a system, you know, part of a well-oiled machine. So many sideways passes, so many backwards passes. I think next time he gets an opportunity, he really needs to seize it. He, he needs does. to go for it because you even see like you can coexist with KDB, Bernardo Silva, Gunawan. These are players that, you know, they also operate best when they have a lion's share of the ball in a match, but they figured out their way to make their impact when they get the ball. And I think that's what Grealish, that's what he needs to focus on when he gets his next minutes. A thousand percent. Okay. So let's wrap up here with Manchester sure. United. They've made some rather interesting signings, I think, with, well, let's start with the Ajax boys, just Anthony and Martinez. How, how do you feel about those players? I think Lissandro Martinez is a phenomenal signing. I was, a bit confused at the discourse around him when he first got signed. Everyone was like, can he win headers in the league? I'm like, have we ever heard of short center backs before? They've been a thing, you know, kind of yeah. you know, Aspilicueta's done well in the league for years now. Uh, Baresi was a great center back. Puyol. So I'm not saying Lissandro Martinez is on those types of levels, but 
you know, you can be a competent center back in a great team being, you know, not the tallest player. And I think he's shown that. I'm glad that he's had such a strong start to the season because he had a lot of detractors at first. He's so progressive, you know. He's replaced Harry Maguire. What Harry Maguire gave you is ball progression. He was the club captain. Obviously, we know Harry Maguire has not had the best couple of years. I really thought under Ten Hag, he would play a lot better because he is someone whose best qualities are with the ball at his feet, trying to, you know, break the line, spray long diagonals. And that fits a Ten Hag system. But unfortunately for Maguire, Lissandro Martinez rocked up and really didn't have a big adjustment period. And you see what he brings. He's he's a better ball progressor than Harry Maguire. He's a bit more dynamic. He's an absolute dog, dude. You will, <laughs> He will get in your face. He will get in tackles. Again, it's a lot of money. Um but which is like the theme of like almost every transfer this episode, I feel like, but yeah, great, great, great player. And again, kind of in a similar way to how Arteta's leverage those Manchester city connections. When you're a new manager, like 10 hog, I totally understand trying to, you know, get players who you have prior experience with. Obviously it helps the adjustment period for you adjustment adjustment period for you. And it helps the adjustment period for them. Um, and it's kind of the same with Anthony, you know, um, Anthony's an interesting one because he, like Jaden Sancho, you know, they're both idealized right wingers. Uh, obviously, I think Jaden Sancho will now spend a lot of time on the left, but yeah. they are both players who like to receive defeat. And I think Anthony um, was an interesting one because I thought they'd kind of found that player with Jaden Sancho. But Anthony, as you can see, almost in his first game, you know, he had that goal against Arsenal. He had a one moment where he had a really nice flick. Other than that, you know, he was kind of finding his bearings, but you could see how dynamic he is. Um, I think he'll be a good player for them. Again, this one especially, a crazy amount of money for him. Um, but uh, I think I think he'll be a good player. Um, for Ten Hag especially, because where Anthony thrives, I think, is he can be that touchline winger. Sancho likes to come inside and operate yeah, in the half right. spaces. Anthony really wants to stretch the pitch. And you see with Pep's system, with Arteta's system, with Xavi's system now at Barca, and obviously Ten Hag, these Cruyffian type, managers i mean a big principle is that is stretching the field as wide as possible so you create those gaps between the fullbacks and center backs anthony gives that to ten hog which is something that with all the other wingers options he had in the squad he didn't have before so i think that will prove its worth eventually um so i, I like him i like him i wouldn't have spent that much money on him but i think they'll end up being good players for united for sure yeah Dylan and topic, i had our thoughts yeah about that. on the topic of the price tag are you familiar with our views on the the IX United transfer. No, I'm not. I'm interested to hear. Money Rahan, you wanna... It's money. Money <laughs> All right. Here's what happened. Right. They sent over Ten Hag. They they were happy for him to go because they sent him to a club that is rich as fuck. Yeah. Like, they used to be called Money Bags United in the 80s. I think it was. They've already profited 150 million. Yeah. And I'm not saying those players are not worth 150 million or who knows. Anthony might be worth 100 million in five, six years. But to pay 100 million for a player that has 12 goals and eight assists in the Dutch league, wild to me. So I think, yeah, I, I mean, think there's something going on behind the scenes. And they were linked to Edson Alvarez too. Yeah. Which I think is still bound to happen. Yeah, I, I, which would be a good signing for them as well, I think. But that, like you said, signing, spending but... spending that much money, I mean, I think Leeds signed. <laughs> yeah, I think Leeds signed like Sinistera. Yeah, uh, they did. how much did they pay for him? And he had more, you know, goal contributions in the Eredivisie. You know, 
it's not always about gold contributions, but yeah, I mean, I'm not going to disagree that they overpaid for them, which was shocking though, because Ajax, at least publicly, they're putting up the front. They did not want Anthony to leave. You know, the manager didn't want him to leave. He was really upset when he left. And I'm thinking they're offering you a hundred million for this yeah. guy, you know, it's their club record transfer. Absolutely. Take it. But yeah, I mean, Ajax, they do have, you know, they form those relationships. And I think they will have a strong relationship, obviously, with United going forward. Um, Ajax, they've had a strong relationship with Frankie. Uh, they're an interesting club, man. They, uh, you know, I think they gave Barca in the market, they gave Barca a deal on Frankie. Yeah. Um, and they are clearly not giving United any deals right now. Uh, but <laughs> um, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're laughing their way to the bank, I think, with that hundred million for sure. Oh yeah, no. Ten Hogs, the Trojan horse. They they sent him over to, to <laughs> the inside as much as he can out of you. Yeah, yeah. I can All see right, that. Well, I can see that. Well, let's move on to a transfer that literally boggled me and Delette's mind because we just could not understand why he would move, and it's Casemiro. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I thought the same thing as well. I'm like, why would you leave Madrid? But then you kind of, I kind of see where he would come from because. I mean, that guy's won everything there is to win with Madrid and more. And so we're even seeing that with like sort of Rafa Varane. Sometimes you need that new challenge. You need to, you know, re-energize yourself. Varane didn't have, I think, the most standout season. I think he had one of the most overrated seasons last year in the Prem. But right oh, yeah. now he's really, really playing well. And if you'd watched it for Madrid, I kind of wasn't surprised about his last season because the past couple years for Madrid, where when he was there, he was pretty underwhelming at times. You know, he is a big game player for sure. But um, but now he's sort of, you know, reinvigorated himself. He's found that fire. And I think we might see something similar with Casemiro. Casemiro had a great season last year. Does he have the legs for, you know, an entire Prem season now? Remains to be seen. I mean, I think, what is he, 30? So he should. Yeah. Um, he doesn't, again, crazy money. Uh, yeah. But, and he doesn't fully address United's ball progression issues. He's no slouch. I think a lot of people... When he got signed, we're trying to act like the dude couldn't kick a ball forward. He can, you know, he can progress, but I think they need like a volume passer next to him to fully complete that midfield because their midfield has been woefully, woefully unbalanced for years. Um, and I think Frankie could have been that player. You could sort of have him at this, that interior in front who can, you know, be that ball progressor. They obviously didn't get him. So I'm interested to see what moves they make in January because Casemiro like I said, I don't think he was the perfect signing for them. I think you want to sign, you know, a player for smart money. I don't get why people like didn't move for someone like Zhao Paulinha for like 20 million who can be that destroyer in the midfield. Um, but he certainly improves the squad. He kind of had a shocker in their last match, but long-term he improves the squad uh, overpaying, but he's not the final piece of the puzzle yet. They need to sign someone next to him. I, it could be actually Erickson though. Erickson's had a good start to the season as that volume passer and progressor, but I still think their midfield, that project isn't finished yet. Um, it might get wrapped up like either in January or in the summer, but for now he improves the squad. Delight, I don't think, have you ever given your thoughts on Casemiro on the podcast? Um, I don't think so, but honestly, like, of course, good player, good signing. I don't, I just don't get the transfer because, like, obviously he's making a ton of money, but mm -hmm. he was making a ton of money in Madrid. Not to rip on Manchester, but there's not much glamour to the city yeah. in terms of, like, why he's moving there. So it's, it's really just, like, footballing reasons, you know? 
Yeah. Because he's not, yeah, he's not losing, he's not leaving anything behind. But in terms of what he's going to bring on the field, it, it'll be positive. But I mean, 70 million, how much was it? 60, 70, think, something like that. I think it was a bit more. Right? I think it was up oh. to 82. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. man. Okay. But yeah, all that money for something that like most people can look at and say that's not a permanent solution to what they need. That's insane. Yeah. It, it shocked me because there were, it wasn't like there was other options. I think the striker market's a bit tough right now. You know, yeah. the winger market can be tough. The, that pivot market, I mean, I said Paulinha. If you want to get a player, I think United has progression issues in their midfield. Someone, they need someone who can receive the ball from the goalkeeper from the, from the back line, turn and play forward. Leandro Paredes was available for like 20 million as well, who I think is a really underrated player. So that to me is, is more emblematic of United and how I don't think they just have some hang up. They need to make a, a big splash, you know, and trying to make a big splash every summer yeah. is how Barcelona ended up in a horrible position. You know, yep. like you need to be smart with your recruitment. I don't think players like Paulinho and Paredes were flashy enough names for them, but Casemiro, as soon as he became an option, they jumped at it because, Oh, we're signing a champions league winner, you know, part of one of the best midfields of all time. I think that's emblematic of United's issue, you know, in their, in their recruitment, which has been horrible. I do think it'll get solved a bit this upcoming summer because Ten Hag will finally have like a scouting department and he's got good talent ID, but Casemiro, like you said, a lot of money for someone who's not a long-term solution. And in my opinion, in terms of a profile, didn't accurately address fully what they needed. Although he will, like I said, improve the team. Yeah. He'll definitely be a good player. I think a lot of the United problem, I've I've boiled it down to arrogance. I feel like the whole rather than actually rebuilding what they need, go out sign, you know, just a bunch of 80 million players like yeah. players. That's that's arrogance. That's kind of like just blind arrogance or too good to rebuild or just going to buy the big name players and they're going to play well for us. And yeah, I mean, maybe they've bought enough to where it'll work. Now. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. Well, I think. I think they'll have a decent season. I don't think they're going to finish like second, you know, like they're yeah. probably going to be in the top four battle. Um, or, you know, I, I think they'll finish like fifth, maybe that's my prediction, but I don't know. We'll see 10 hog there. Another big question mark, but you're right. It's arrogance. It's also appeasement, you know, for them and for their, you know, board. I think the fans yeah. are on their back and they think, Oh, let's just, you know, satisfy them with a, a big name signing. You know, I mean, there was supposed to be huge protests before the Liverpool match and all of a sudden Casemiro signed <laughs> and, uh, you know, they kind of dissipate, you know, it's as much yeah. PR as it is anything else as well. Like the Ronaldo signing, I'll be honest, I, I love Ronaldo, but that was absolutely a PR signing. He didn't, you know, he, he didn't yeah. suit this, the, the system that Ole was trying to play um, particularly. So uh, yeah, that, that is, that is the United way right now. It seems though. Yeah. Ronaldo's interesting because I don't think they get what well, they finished fifth last year. Right. Or fifth or uh, they finished sixth. I six. Think so yeah. I don't think they get six without him, but it just still isn't a good signing. Like yeah, on, on paper. It it's interesting because in yeah, it's it sets you back a long run. It's interesting too because like what I think the Ole finished what did he finish second the year before that? I mean they were in the champions, yeah. mm -hmm. but they were in the top four. And Ole, he liked his forwards to press really well, you know. Um at at a certain point, he had some bad pressing numbers at first, but he liked them to press and the team functioned really well with sort of Bruno being the focal point. And Ronaldo oh, yeah. came in, he kind of took that away from Bruno. So I think 
in terms of like their overall play, they may have regressed a little bit, but that's only in the first half of the season. I actually thought under Ragnick in the second half of the season, Ronaldo became a really complete striker. You know, yeah, he was he linking did. up play he was. really well. He, cause to yeah. me, my, I think in the first half of the season, he was still that like Madrid shoot first Ronaldo, get the ball, try to find a way for a shot. Obviously that's not bringing your other wingers into play. It's not, you know, helping the production of the other team. Whereas in the second half of the season, man, some of it, his performance against Arsenal, even though they lost, yep. was one of like his yep. best performances I've seen, you know, I was scared of him every single time he touched the ball. And I think he'll end up getting that back under 10 hog because 10 hog wants a striker. Who's going to be able to link up obviously. Um, but we're seeing, I think, I mean, age just is going to catch up with him eventually. He's not going to be that striker that's going to play week in, week out. I think if he didn't have this drama this summer, though, he would have been the starting striker for Manchester United going into the season. I think his one-away transfer request, sort of, you know, being absentee from training and, I mean, just very visibly not wanting to be there at first. Uh, I think it meant that it forced Ten Hag's hand to bench him. Um, and now he has to win that spot back. I think he's capable of it. Uh, but it, it remains to be seen because right now I don't think you should mess with that front line. I think there's a good balance. They're playing well right now as well. Definitely. Definitely. And the final transfer that they made, which was also interesting to me and surprising to me how well he's worked out is Christian Erickson. Yeah. He, I, I was so surprised because he had a bad like game against Brentford, you know, and I thought, yeah. Oh man, is, is he, you know, is he it? But since then, I mean, he, for Brentford itself at the second half of last season, he was such a creative player on a free transfer too. Yeah. That's one of the signings of the summer. I think actually you could label that in a top tier, good signing because again, he's going to help Ten Hag's system. He's a progressive player. Um, he can play as a controller, you know, he's going to bring that added stability in the midfield and um, he had a phenomenal game against Arsenal. I thought, I mean, what Christian Eriksen gives you, I think on that, was the second goal or was it when Bruno outbended it to Rashford, you know? Yes. Right. In the lead up to that goal, it's just Erickson receives in the middle. It's just a one touch pass to Bruno. He moves the ball quickly. You know, he's yeah. not going to miss those passes. It's kind of an unseen pass in a buildup. And so I think he's a big sign. He elevates the technical level of their midfield a lot. And on a free, you can't, you know, low risk, high reward. I think it was interesting because when he got signed, everyone was saying, Oh, right. Attacking mid. He's going to feed Sancho in behind, but he's more dropped into the midfield and like mm-hmm. a pivot with the whoever the central defensive midfielder is, whether it's McTominay, Fred, or Casemiro. Yeah, yeah. I think that's because, and you can see, you know, it didn't really work as well at the beginning of Brentford, but you can see like that is what United were lacking was someone who can receive the ball, you know, facing their own goal in turn, you know, turn and just progress, progress, progress. Um, is he the final solution there? I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but he's doing the job really well right now. I think, I think I see the vision. I see what they're going for. And, uh, I think, I think he'll be a good sign. I mean, obviously I've, I've liked Christian Erickson as a Tottenham fan. I, he irritated me when he was on Tottenham because he was just so damn good at times, but, um, you know, I respect his game and I'm, I'm happy to see him doing well. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's all the time that we have with Azam. So thank you so much for joining us. Those are all of his thoughts. As always, guys, be sure to leave a five-star rating. And as all of Azam's stuff, his link will be in the description of the episode. So be sure to check it out. And we'll see you guys in the next episode.